Hello there. I'm History of the Flash, but you could call me JD. And I'm Comic Savior, but you can call me Caleb. And this is A Hero Story, episode number 82. Welcome. A Hero Story is a podcast where we talk all things comics. That includes comic book movies, comic book animation, comic book video games, comic books themselves. You name it, we probably talk about it. The usual breakdown of our episode is we start with the news of the week, where we recap any news that happened from the past episode. And then we make our way to the comics of the week, where we take a select few comics that we read, give you a little breakdown of them, things we liked, things we didn't like, and a rating at the end. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much the episode. Uh, our regular co-host, Comic Book Hunter, is still away on vacation. He'll be back next week, I believe. So Caleb is filling in for the third week. Thank you again. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to break down because uh, shortly after our podcast was released last week, we got DC solicitations for May. Uh, now, we already knew about Dark Knight's Death Metal that got announced a few days before, and we heard you can hear our misery in the voices when we report that last <laughs> week. But uh, we got some other big things in the May solicitations, uh, such as Green Lantern 80, 80th Anniversary 100 Page Spectacular. So uh, DC realized that Action Comics 1000 sold like hotcakes. It was the highest selling comic of 2018. So they're like, ooh, we, we could do more of these. And then in 2019, Detective Comics 1000 came out, and they're like, ooh, it was also the highest selling comic of 2019. You know, we could do more of these. Then Wonder Woman 750 came out in 2020, and that was the highest selling comic of the month. And now you got Flash 750, and Green Lantern 80th, and Joker 80th, and Catwoman 80th, and Robin 80th. 80th. <laughs> um, but this one actually looks really good. So um, I think one of the biggest gripes of the Flash uh, 750 was the lack of legacy on the covers and the lack of creativity on the covers i would even say um you know the the covers are supposed to represent each decade that the character has been around and i mean at least i think with the flash ones you don't really get to see the decade impact for a lot of them i don't know if you feel the same yeah no i mean a lot of it, it, it they all just kind of like interchangeable the flash ones and it's really kind of a bummer yeah, like the 90s one is a uh, uh Francis uh, Francesco Matna cover and uh, he's, you know, he does really cool, uh, you know, covers, but it, it just seemed weird to me to put him on the 90s one because his just looks like a regular variant cover, like the ones he did in Flash War. Like, nothing yeah, about his <laughs> makes me go, oh, that's the 90s. Yeah, it's, it's really weird because, I mean, I feel like it's, I, I guess it, it's kind of odd because I feel like, were there really any, I mean, I guess there were some, some distinguished artists from the 90s for Flash, but like, none of them are still working, you know? And, and yeah, and that's the biggest problem that a lot of you know the artists who worked then are either pa have passed away or are not currently working at DC Comics. But I, it would just been so nice to me, even if you had you know like uh, if if you would have assigned Jim Lee, for example, to do a Flash family cover where you mm -hmm. got art. Like like to me, the '90s cover should have represented something like Chain Lightning, you know, something that was yeah. like a Flash family event. I think that would be cool because that screams '90s. That screams you know this, the '90s were the first appearance of a lot of Flash family characters. You got to see Jesse Quick. You got to see Bart Allen, Max Mercury making a reappearance. So, you know, this was, and th that's when the Speed Force was introduced. So I think they really could have done a cool mix of Speed Force and Flash family. And that, and that was like a big disappointment. So, and, and I felt the same way with some of the other covers. Like even like the Gary Frank one is the 50s. It's Flash first garage. Yeah, it's, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool looking, but you know, you're Gary Frank. You're one of the best artists in comics. Like it's just, <laughs> It seems a little generic for you. You know, the 50s is when Barry Allen appeared. It's when The Flash was revolutionized. I, I want to be able to feel that in the cover. You know, if you're going to make it a decade cover, let it represent what the decade meant to the character. So luckily for Green Lantern 80th, to, to tie this all in, uh, Green Lantern 80th did that with their covers, for the most part at least. I think, you know, each cover really represents a generation. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think... I, I it's really cool because each color also has a really stark difference with like the other ones like the uh, Yvonne Reyes one is just that I'm looking at that one and the uh, Kyle Rayner one the Philip Tan one a lot like they just they're so beautiful these covers it's I really wouldn't have cared for Green Lantern 80 but these covers definitely have me on board. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right away, I was just, I was taken away by all of them. I mean, so starting with the 40s, you got the Nicola Scott one, which uh, she did a similar one for Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, where it's like, for the Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, it was like different ca uh, costumes for the characters all lined up in like kind of like a row. Uh, for the Green Lantern one, it's all the different Green Lanterns lined up in the row and with Alan Scott in the front to represent the 40s. So I thought this was really cool because that literally screams to me, 
80 years of Green Lantern. Now, would I have put Teen Lantern in there? Probably not. I probably yeah, that was put, that was a really like, new addition. <laughs> like I probably would have put like Jade, but you know maybe that's just me. But uh, you know you get to see uh, Hal, John, Kyle, Guy, Jessica, uh, Simon, uh, Abin Sir, Sinestro. So uh, I, I actually would have put Kilowog too. I think that would have been cool. But you get like a big array of Green Lanterns and what they've all meant to the history. Mine is Teen Lantern. So that, that's a really awesome cover. I actually wish she would have done that for Flash because. Her Flash 40s cover is just Jay Garrick, like, you know, doing, like, a pose. And it's a cool cover, but this, I think, to do one for this, like, Flash, like, I was just, immediately when I saw this, I'm like, damn, we were robbed. Imagine we got a Flash one of, like, Max, Bart, Barry, you know, Jay, Wally, all of them, like, standing in a row like that. It would be so cool. Yeah, no, and I feel like the Liam Sharp one is, like, without a doubt, the best cover. It is, it is, it looks like a movie poster. Oh, my God, it's amazing. I, I would I, love that for a Flash family one. Oh, I I mean, it would have been so cool. Yeah, so the Liam Sharp one is, like, the main one. I mean, this might be some of his best work he's ever done. Yeah. I mean, he does a lot of cool covers for the Green Lantern, but, I mean, this is just mind-blowing. Like, I didn't even realize this was Liam Sharp at first because it's not even really, like, in his style. Mm-hmm. It, it looked, Like, some of the faces look like Alex Ross-type art. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, and it looks – because it's super detailed, but not – not in, like, the regular way he does it, because he uses a lot more shadows in his regular stuff. But this, yeah. it's, um, it just, it looks so gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, I think this is the cover that I'm going to get, but I don't know. It's such a hard competition, because you got the 90s cover, which is just Kyle Rayner, but Philip Tan just does such a great job of just showing, like, all the Green Lantern logos around Kyle, and you could really, like, sense his power from just the pose he's striking. And... Uh, I mean, for fans of the uh, 70s Green Lantern, you got Neil Adams who did one that, I mean, literally feels like straight out of the 70s with modern day coloring. Uh, it's mm-hmm. John and Hal just side by side behind the power, uh, in front of the power battery. It's, it's really cool. And then uh, you got the you got the 60s one by Doug Monkey, who does great work on Batman a lot. And he's done Green Lantern work in the past. And, and that one really looks like 60s versions of the characters and like a bunch of the new uh, Green Lantern villains that were introduced during that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, the Green Lantern 80 succeeds where Flash failed in showing the decade impact on each cover. Yeah, and it's kind of funny, too, because the Guy Garner one looks like it takes place exactly where the Wally West one does, too, on yeah. Crisis. Yeah. And it just, yeah, yeah it just exactly. looks better, too. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So, I, I think, you know, uh, am I a bitter Flash fan? Of course, but you know, <laughs> these look amazing, and it makes me wish that they would have stepped up their game more for Flash 750. And even the creative teams they have coming for this, I mean, they went all out. So you got mm-hmm. Jeff Johns, who's obviously like the godfather of all things Green Lantern, but you also got people like Peter J. Tomasi, who worked on Green Lantern Corps. You got Denny O'Neill, who wrote, I mean, pretty much everything in the 70s DC for Green Lantern and Batman and all of them. You got Ron Mars, who worked on the 90s run, and you got like a bunch of big artists coming back too. Mike Grell, who's done so much work with Green Arrow. I wouldn't be surprised if he has a Green Arrow and Green Lantern story. Uh, I mean, you got Rafa Sandoval, who made a big name for himself during Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Ivan Reese, of course. So th- they really went all out there to get, you know, the biggest names in the biz. And, you know, you got even Jeff Lemire's writing a story. Like, this is really cool stuff. Yeah, this feels – I'm honestly more excited for this than I am – than I was, like, Detective Comics 1000, you know? Oh, oh I 100% like, agree. I, I think this is the most hype pretty much out of all of them. I mean, I thought Action 1000 was okay. I thought Tech 1000 was disappointing. I thought Wonder Woman 750 was not good. I, I have my fear about Flash 750. <laughs> but, you know, this was this was really interesting to see, you know, the big names they got. And this is where I said Flash 750, I felt like where it went wrong. Like, not to compare everything here, but, you know, Flash 750 got Jeff Johns, who's a big name in Flash history. And, you know, Marv Wolfman, even though he's, I would say, probably kind of dated at this time, you know, he's a big name in Flash history for what he did in Crisis. But other mm-hmm. than that, you didn't really have too many more big names. So, you know... Uh, it, it didn't really like you know Mark Wade, and I get it. He doesn't get along with DC editorial. But that being said, you would think if they could get Chuck Dixon to come back on Robin eighty, why couldn't they have gotten Mark Wade to come back on Flash eighty? If they're that important to the character's development, you should bring him back for a story. That's just my feeling, at least. Yeah, and I mean, just overall, I feel like I'm I'm Green Lantern eighty and Robin eighty are the two. 80th or whatever the year anniversary specials I'm excited for. Like they just they look. It's such a kind of their niche fan bases, you know, so I feel like the stories and the writers are still a lot more prevalent because they weren't on like 
like with Batman or with Superman is it's like there are constant very very good writers whereas I feel like with Green Lantern or I feel like with Robin characters there's it's a lot more of like a select few that are still very passionate for the characters yeah no no I agree and and I think you know the beauty of Green Lantern is it's really been consistently good since like the 90s mm-hmm. so you had a like a wide array of talent to at least pick from and you know for who to get so you know, when you get these names, they really splash, and I'm I'm really impressed with what they were able to do. So, uh, this is probably my most hyped comic of May. Uh, you know, without a doubt, I'm just very excited for this one. This is one that I'll gladly hand my ten dollar bill to the uh, comic book store clerk and be like, "Thank you." <laughs> so this is this comes out in May, right? Yeah, May. Uh oh yeah 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 my see I think my actual most hyped for May is definitely. I, I'm really hoping it will be good, but Young Justice 16. Um, oh, is, that, is that the one with uh, no, the Bart Allen comic? Which yeah, is, it's... Actually, a very good segue. It's something that Hunter yeah. and I typically struggle with. Yeah, so uh, Young Justice uh, is going to have a Bart-focused issue, it appears, at least from the cover. So, yeah, back to the more disappointment with Flash 750. Uh, Bart can get a cover on Young Justice, but he can't get a Flash 750 cover. We know something's wrong here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this cover for Bart is... I'm not really that big of a fan of like John Tim's art style, but oh my god, this cover looks so gorgeous. One hundred percent agreed. I, I'm not a big Tim's fan. I think that you know his art style's not, just not for me. It might be for some people, just not for me. Mm-hmm. But this, yeah, this Bart cover is absolutely spectacular. I mean, you could tell that he worked for like days on this. I mean, it's so beautiful, and yeah, so we're gonna have a Bart focused issue where Bart appears to be telling the truth of the legacy of young justice to the rest of the team. That's interesting. I'm curious to see where that goes. I worry with Bendis, it's going to be like, and that, I said this to, uh, to Caleb before <laughs> we started recording, but you know, Bendis is famous for putting something in a solicitation and then it happens in the last page of the issue and just sets up the next month. So hopefully this is like actually something worthwhile and it will be interesting to see, you know, the pre 52 routes because the biggest thing about young justice is it's really one of the only books that has pre-52 memories in it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and, that, that, that's a lot of potential. So, And not just that, but, like, I think it was, like, the fourth or fifth issue was the Tim-centered one. And it was, it's been, it will nearly have been 11 issues since, like, Tim got all his memories back of Young Justice. And, well, actually, I, I think, yeah, in the entire run, he's he knows everybody. Yeah. It's just not explained. And, like, I get where Bendis came from when he was talking about, like, oh, yeah, I know that the first book sets up, like, a bunch of questions. We'll be establishing more and then answering them later. But it's, like, on a, on a monthly book that ships, and for the most part, like, the answers that we get are, like, super two-sentence-y. It, it kind of gets a little disappointing after a while. For sure. But, I mean, I'm, I'm really hyped um, because, I mean, it's... Bart came back. It almost would have been two years since Bart came back that we're finally getting the explanation as to where he's been. So that he's had, you know, a long, long time to work with these characters and hopefully figure out a solid, believable and interesting story. Because I'm going to be really upset if it's just another boring, like, multiverse one, you know? Agreed. Agreed. And I really hope Young Justice is going to start picking up. I temporarily dropped it because i was really getting upset with it and i you know i'm a, I'm a huge young justice fan the 1998 run is honestly my top 10 runs of all time it's it's such a special run to me so to see this run you know it, it just pales in comparison and i know it's hard to compare a full run versus you know 10 issues or so but it, it just doesn't feel like it has the heart and soul that young justice should and what made young justice special in the 90s and 2000s so i, I hope that they can start to pick up some of that pace and you know i, I wonder if Perhaps a creative team change could do all that. But that being said, you know, I'm just curious to see where it will be going. And, uh, yeah, I hope this Bart run is a catalyst for that all. Yeah, I, 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 I honestly, I don't know about, like, a creative team change. I don't know who I'd want to take over. It's really weird because there's only really, like, four writers at DC. And that's um, how it feels, honestly. It's like, it's like it's King, it's Bendis, it's Williamson, it's Snyder, it's Tinian. And that's about it. You got like Tomasi and Diddy and, you know, it, it it feels like there's a very limited amount of writers at DC. I actually think Tomasi would be a good fit for Young Justice. I think he's got a uh, gift for writing younger characters and making them bond very well. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious to see where this goes. And like I said, I just hope Young Justice picks up. Yeah, same. 
So uh, also coming in May is uh, a Generation 1 one-shot from DC. So on free comic book day, you're going to be getting Generation 0, which is the Dr. Wally Hatton story and a Wonder Woman story and all that. And the following month, you're going to get, or I guess the same month, because free comic book day is the first Saturday in May. So uh, the fo- the same during that same month, you're going to be getting uh, a one-shot of Generation 1 which is essentially just telling you the story of the Generation 1 of the DC Universe, and it's setting up Gen uh, 5G, the fifth generation. Uh, They're going to do a one-shot for each of the generations, and it'll explain what's building up to 5G. This makes me really nervous because, you know, when we first heard about 5G, we're like, oh, okay, that's kind of far away. It's okay. And now it's like, oh, boy, it's getting close. So um, in the solicitation, it it mentions, you know, what's the reason behind the Justice Society's retirement and what was the shocking transition in the golden age? And there's like a bunch of questions being set up. And it even mentions like uh, Lucius Fox and Wonder Woman and King Faraday. So there's a lot. That's going to be going on in this issue. And yeah, I think, I think it's going to happen in all of the one shots to set up five G. I'm like, I'm kind of excited to an extent. Like Gen One um, will have art by Doug Mankey, which has me hyped. Uh, but it, uh, all of them are going to have uh, a cover by Jim. Tr- I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, and a variant cover though by Gary Frank, which has me really, really excited to see each of his covers for each of the generations. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it seems again like it's kind of whatever. Like five G won't stop. It seems like I think on here it's called Generation Five: Age of Tomorrow. So it will be, I guess, the next generation of heroes. I yeah. think I don't. I'm I'm I, by now with all the rumors and stuff that've been coming around with it. I'm more I'm more so just kind of excited to just figure out what it is. Yeah. No. You me know? too. Me too, and um, I was actually looking uh, on eBay today. I was in a bit of a bidding war trying to get uh, Identity Crisis number three, which is the <laughs> first appearance of Owen Mercer, because if he's going to be the Flash, well, I have to have his first appearance. Yeah. So I found I found a CGC 9.8, and I'm like, ooh, you know, this is, you know, before it gets hot, before he actually becomes the Flash, maybe I could snag this. It ended up going, I ended up losing it in the bid, but uh, I'm going to try to get that one because... You know, I have Bart's first appearance, so I got to have, you know, every Flash is my goal. It's going to be a little harder to get Showcase number four and Flash Comics number one, of course. But, you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah. but 5G is coming soon, and uh, you're right. There's no stopping it, so let's see what it's all about. I'm, I'm definitely curious. I think, mm-hmm. you know, all these reboots, even though I hate reboots, I think they have potential to be cool. And, you know, when I'm sure when Crisis on Infinite Earths happened in the 80s, people were like, oh, this is going to be terrible. It's going to lead to a terrible age of DC. You know, I miss my 80s comics. And, <laughs> you know, it led to the best era of DC in most people's opinion. So, you know, I'm willing to go in with an open mind and see how it is. But I'm certainly nervous about these books. Yeah. And I mean, I just I'm I. It's it's so confusing to me because it's like there's gonna be so many different one like stories within the generation stories and it's just I, I'm nervous for what it will bring. Um, especially because we spent the last like four years of DC time trying to build towards something in the past and now they're like established going up and being like, Okay, now we're gonna go deep into the future. Bye, you know? Yeah. I don't want these last rebirth years to just kind of feel wasted. But yeah. I don't know. Hope the, the creative team, it, it's a ton of just different writer, writers and artists that has me really, really excited, but I'm still very, very nervous. Yeah. Oh, oh, me too, for sure. But I'm hoping they learn their lessons from the New 52 and Rebirth and can, you know, make this next one work because you don't want to be in the Marvel 2010 situation where you're rebooting every year and a half or so, you know? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So, uh, anyway. Uh, in better comic news, and I think this one will get the biggest Tom King stand alive, Caleb. <laughs> uh, very excited. Strange Adventures has a tease, and this is possibly the most creative tease I've ever seen from a comic book. I- I've seen similar things done for other comics, but this is beyond amazing. I don't know who made it, uh, but Mitch Gerards and Tom King both posted it on their Instagram. And I don't know if DC actually posted it, but yeah, DC didn't post it, but uh, Gerards and King did. Uh, it's essentially like a commercial for strange adventures and it is amazing like i i can't even describe it in words 
literally go watch the video. It's on Mitch's Instagram. It's on Tom's Instagram. I'm sure it's on their Twitter too. Yeah. <laughs> like this is amazing. Why is this not done for more comics? This is a brilliant way to advertise. And I, I always said like insta- like social media is the best way to advertise, especially for comic books. Don't let them become a dying breed. Social media could take off with them. I mean, this is so brilliant. Yeah. And it looks so cool too. Like it just, it really like expanded my hype for the book. And it showed, like, it showed so many things that we weren't already, like, n- that we didn't know about the book yet. And it just, everything, it, it it did it, it did it in such a very interesting way that, like, it, I, it's like you said, it's just really hard to describe unless you watch it, you know? You yeah. It's kind of, like, it, I agree, like, I don't know why they don't do these more often for a lot of their books, because it, it just, it fits Strange Adventure so well, and I'm, I'm so, I'm much more hyped than I was before. Yeah, so were you as big a King fan before Mr. Miracle or no? Um, kind of. Like, like, go, ra- like going into Mr. Miracle, were you like extremely hyped or was it kind of just like, oh, another King series? That's interesting. No, I found out because I listened to another podcast and they were going over the history of Mr. Miracle. And uh-huh. I heard he had a good series and I thought that the series was an ongoing and then it ended after issue 12. And I was like, wait, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I obviously held out on Mr. Miracle for so long, and Caleb was the one who really like influenced me to get that trade. And I mean, that was it, it took me like three sittings to read, which was an interesting way to read it. I basically read four issues per sitting. It, it was amazing, and it really made me like you know hyped for the next one, which was going to be now Strange Adventures. Adam Strange is not a character I'm interested in in any sense of the word. But that being said, I wasn't interested in Mr. Miracle at all either. So. You know, I think that Tom is best as at his best when he's confined 12 issues and could kind of just tell his story. You don't have to worry about an ongoing. You don't have to worry about connecting to other books. Just do your thing. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited for this. I think, you know, obviously they got a lot to prove after doing Mr. Miracle. But everything that I've seen from Strange Adventures looks terrific so far. And I can't wait to be uh, brilliantly confused. <laughs> yeah. And I think like I think King as well after like. What's what happened with Heroes in Crisis and like having to have his Batman run cut short? I think like Strange Adventures and Batcat are going to be two of the books that he's really wanting to use to like prove that he still kind of has what's gonna what he had before going forward. You know? Oh, oh, I agree. I mean, it's it's weird to think that a multi Eisner winning comic book writer is almost writing like a comeback book this year. But yeah, I, I, think, yeah, yeah. I, I think that you know he he has a great writing reputation. It was obviously a little questioned by heroes in crisis and you know maybe some of his batman work but i I think this is going to get people back on the okay this is amazing train and i and i truly think like this is something that you know i obviously i didn't read mr miracle in single issue but i figure if you did it it probably didn't make sense at the time you're probably confused as hell it's probably gonna be like that as strange adventures it probably won't all click until issue 10 or issue 11 but i'm here for it i'm I'm ready yeah i know i mean literally it and it it's just it, everything about that book really excites me because just straight from how he's been talking about it recently, I'm I'm just so excited. I, I really I'm excited. I like the theme it's dealing with. I think it's going to be really interesting seeing how the dual artist plays out. Um, and I also think it will just really I, I think it will be something that will be really helpful for Black Label. Because there really haven't been too many good books coming that have come out under Black Label, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the biggest thing I think that came out under Black Label was Last Night on Earth. I think that Damned was uh, <laughs> oh, anyone who read it really just talks about the Bat Wang, and that's about it. You know, like there was yeah. nothing else. And then Superman Year One, I think, was made fun of more than anything because of mm-hmm. Frank Miller and J.R.J.R. But you know, uh, they need that big book that's going to set the table and be like, okay, Black Label's legit, you know? And if they want to be the next Vertigo, I think you need that defining story. And I think Strange Adventures definitely could be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think, like, what you said, it's weird because it is like they're writing a comeback book. But at the same time, like, I know um, Mitch and hearing a bit of an interview, Mitch and hearing a lot of the interviews with Tom King was he was like everything I was doing. I was like, oh, this hasn't really been like done before. But I was really he was really, really excited for stuff like that. And that's just like I I think the book is either going to be fantastic and something we've never seen or like fall flat, but in like super spectacular way, you know. So you think there's no in between? You think it's one end of the spectrum or the other? 
Yeah, and I I guarantee it'll be great. It I I think I don't think Tom King can really write a bad twelve issue maxi if like I think he's he knows his audience more now, you know. And and I think after Mr. Miracle really hit big in not only sales but awards and you mm-hmm. know among critics and everything, I, I think DC is pretty much going laissez faire on this one. I think they're hands off, you know, do what you need to do. Obviously that it's black label, you have way more freedom, but you know, this isn't a character that's that huge in DC right now. I mean, he was in Superman for a bit. He was in uh, the Green Lantern for a little bit. But, you know, nobody's missing Adam Strange. So mm-hmm. go wild with him, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm hyped. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of hyped comics, that's not a bad segue. Uh, Daredevil, one more day. So uh, in May, Daredevil is getting an annual issue called Daredevil, one more day. Now, you might be sitting at home right now thinking one more day, like the Spider-Man story. The most controversial Spider-Man story? Yes, like that. So uh, Chip Chip Zdarsky, the writer of Daredevil, which is, in my humble opinion, the best ongoing in comics right now, uh, he is coming out with an annual issue in which everything changes. And he even says in the interview, yeah, I know it's, you know, the stereotypical everything changes, but everything changes in this issue. Uh, The cover of the issue has Daredevil wearing uh, kind of like a yellow... I don't want to call it a robe, but kind of like what a boxer would wear like before getting in the ring. Yeah. I don't know if that has an actual name, but it it looks kind of like a robe, but not exactly a robe. Uh, It's yellow, which is kind of representative of his original colors in the comics. And yeah, we just know it's going to be a Daredevil shattering story. So um, I'm very hyped because uh, a double-sized Daredevil issue, sign me up. A... Uh, big things happening in Daredevil, sign me up. And Chip Zdarsky writing anything, sign me up. I mean, this is – I'm hyped on all fronts. You know, I, I, I've i loved the run so far. I've really thought that it's had very few flaws. It's been able to pull off a lot of things that it probably shouldn't have been able to pull off but has. So I'm I'm very hyped about this. And I'm, you know, excited to see where this story goes. And I can't wait till we get, you know, little art pieces from it and more info. The cover is beautiful. Yeah, and he said uh, – he was like, yeah, this is super integral to the story and it will change everything going forward like you said and i mean i'm i'm very nervous but i think if anyone's gonna do it and do it effectively it's gonna be chip i i think like i think again he could kind of just release anything by now and it will be really really good just because of like the precedent that the series before has set you know oh like for I, sure. I i think i think like with i i feel like i always compare the two runs but i feel like they are similar like comparing it to king's batman like the part of the wedding, like why it got so shaky, was like the run really started to get shake, like shooken up right before, you know, like the twenty yeah. issues before the wedding, they started missing really, really bad, and it was just not as good as it could have been. But yeah. I feel like with Daredevil, like the way the story is going right now, is he can do absolutely anything, and I'll and it will still probably be really, really well written, and I'm super excited for that. Yeah, I mean, it always blows my mind that Chip writes such a good Daredevil because if you've seen him on social media, if you read his <laughs> newsletter, he's such a goofball. And he's written, you know, Star-Lord and Spider-Man before, and I don't know if you've read any of those, but, you know, he was able to rely on the comedic effect of the characters. When it comes to Daredevil, obviously Daredevil's not a comedic character by any sense of the character. I mean, this is a character who deals with heavy themes of alcoholism, addiction of any kinds, religion, and, you know, what makes a hero. Like, there are some very serious themes in Daredevil, and... You know, he's been able to nail them all, which is insane to me. I mean, when I was listening to – I mentioned this to Caleb before we started recording. I was listening to Ryan Stegman's podcast. He's an artist in Marvel Comics, and uh, he did a podcast with Chip. It's the seventh episode if you want to give it a listen. It was entertaining. Uh, Chip mentions like when he got on to Daredevil, it was like the editor at the time had all the writers – sends all the writers an email and said, I want you to send me what your dream book is, and I want to see if I can make that work. And Chip said, Daredevil, I want to work on Daredevil. And uh, he said that there's a certain pressure applied to writing Daredevil because even though his favorite character is Spider-Man, the, his favorite runs are from Daredevil, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what he's, and he, I think the exact quote with Daredevil was something along the lines of like, with the Daredevil run, you either get fizzled into nothing or you go down as one of the greats, right? You know, the Bendis, Brubaker, uh, Miller, uh, Wade, you know, all those runs are considered so great and all, and all the ones in between are kind of forgotten about, even though he's a very consistently written well character. So when you're writing this character and because he's been taken to so many lengths, there there is a certain amount of pressure. And 
I mean, through what are we at? Eighteen issues. He's already made his name as one of those. Mm-hmm. I, I think already one of those great Daredevil writers, and I hope his run goes on as long as the quality can stay up because this is, I mean, just mind blowing how good it's been for eighteen issues. Yeah, no, I mean, I think his run is absolutely insane. It's incredible, and it's really, really weird. Like, because I, I feel like it's one of the few times that we can read a run while it's coming out and just know, like, yeah, this is going to be a run that people are going to look back on in 20 years, and it's going to be a highlight of what's been coming out at the time, you know? Yeah, um, and I, I, mean, I fully expect in four years from now a Matt Draper video on how great <laughs> Zdarsky's death Yeah, is. yeah, exactly, yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's... He's it's just it's so good and I everything about his run so far has just been perfect and I'm so excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I mean to be able to take Matt out of the costume for the last like well like 10 12 issues and mm-hmm. I mean I haven't even missed Daredevil. I feel like the story's just been that good and I even uh the issue that came out this week Matt might be only in it for a few pages, but the supporting cast that he's built around, and even like, you know, obviously have Kingpin on the side. Kingpin was only in it for like two pages, but the supporting cast that he's built that haven't been previously mentioned in Daredevil books, I'm already hooked on them. Mm-hmm. And something I've I've heard other writers talk about before is how, you know, it's it's easier to write, you know, established characters because when something happens to them, fans care, right? If you hit Aunt May with a bus people are going to care instead of instead of when you're writing an indie comic and an old lady gets hit with a bus, you know? Mm-hmm. So for him to build up, you know, Mindy and some of these other side characters who, I mean, in a generic sense, yeah, I probably wouldn't care about to make me care about them and to put the emotional stakes. And there was a big death in this week's issue. You know, mm-hmm. it, he, he's really done a great job of building that all around story and just 18 issues. I mean, I'm, I really feel in the world of Hell's Kitchen. It, it's really interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, it, the world building is really, really great. I love the gang war that's been uh, kind of perpetrating perpetrating throughout the issues. I, like you said, I'm really excited for what is going to be going on with Fisk because I think the issue, I think One More Day is, uh, uh, yeah, I think I think it has something to do with Kingpin. Um, and especially because, I mean, I think we the issue that comes out like right after, he's back in the suit. So, I mean, yeah, they had like the back in red or whatever. So. Yeah. So I think I think, yeah, this will pretty much be the through hell arc. The whole I think it's going to probably end up being like 20 ish issues by the time it's done. And then I think it'll start a new kind of thread. But yeah, I mean, I, again, I'm I'm interested to see where a lot of this stuff goes. And I'm especially interested to see when he starts introducing new like in a sense, like new plot points. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, it it seems like issue, I think, 22 is when he debuts back in the suit. Yeah. And so it seems like that will be in a new direction. And so I'm interested to see if he's able, I, I know he will be, but if he is able to get us on for another 20 more issues of whatever story he has planned. But, yeah, I think, like you said, he did, he's done a great job establishing new characters yeah. um, and making us really, really care for them. Like you said, that there's a big death today or yesterday. Um it caught me by like genuinely caught me by surprise. Like my jaw literally dropped when I turned the page. I was like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, I I wasn't expecting it at all. I was like, "Oh my god, wow!" Yeah, but yeah, I mean, his run, the run's been perfect so far, in I think like every sense of the word. Yeah, and I and I think you know ultimately it's impossible to write the perfect comic book run where every single issue you know is amazing, and you know even the even your favorite comic book runs have weaker stories even if you wouldn't consider them bad stories like i I look at like wade's flash run right so i I, you know you start with bangers like born to run and return of barry allen and then you get stuff that's a little more forgotten i think it's still serviceable but it's you know it's i think it's also kind of underrated but you know like back on track and a few of those stories where it's just you know flash being flash those aren't really thought of as the big story. So uh, eventually in a run, you're going to run into, you know, the stories that don't hit quite like the others. And that's just a matter of like, it has to happen at some point. So, you know, I have a feeling it obviously will happen to daredevil at some point. And I'm amazed he's been able to keep the quality so long, but I don't know. I mean, everything that like he even, I think he even had a statement where it was like everything we did in year one, like it's been setting up in year two and year two is going to get nuts. So yeah, I'm hyped. (laughs) Yeah, but anyway, um, from there, I mean, there's some other news. Like, there's a new Spider-Man ongoing, yawn, you know, another one that'll be canceled after 18 issues. And uh, Red Hulk's going to appear in the She-Hulk show. I I don't even know if I'm going to watch She-Hulk show, but that's cool. I like Red Hulk. Uh, Regardless, uh, let's get into the comics of the week, because this has been a great comic conversation so far. 
So uh, the big comic of the week, of course, is Flash Forward number six, the end of Flash Forward. So I think that this was like my general thoughts, and I said this on Instagram, I think it was a serviceable mini. I think, you know, it was cool. I think it had some really cool things. It set up a lot for obviously free comic book day. Did it feel rushed? Yes. I think it would have been better as a 12 issue series just to get a little bit more time to to flesh out, you know, exactly what's happening and... You know, I, I think, like, especially with the multiverse travels, I, I personally would have gone in the direction of seeing alternate versions of characters that you know. So they did a little bit, right? You get, like, the Roy vampire hunter, but, and you get, like, the Barry, even though that wasn't the greatest connection. But, you know, I think seeing uh, Barry of another Earth would have been cool, where he actually, like, connects with him and has to work with him and maybe even watch Barry die. Uh, working with maybe, like, a Hunter Zolomon of another Earth, I think would have been really awesome. Because, obviously, he knows Hunter's back, and he feels guilty for what was done in Flash War. So, it would have been interesting to see a Hunter, even if he was working with a Hunter, and they were friends in this multiverse. I don't know. I think it could have been interesting, especially if you're going to do the multiverse travels. I wasn't as interested in, okay, he's got to take down the Dark Matter. Let's let him go wild and go fight. Yeah, you get some cool running scenes. But, you know, I would have rather some emotional buildup with some characters, and especially alternate versions of characters, like to see another Dick, uh, Dick Grayson of another Earth, you know? Yeah, it, it just it felt like what you said. It was serviceable. I I don't think I think it's gonna be. I I don't think it's really weird because I think like the '90s and the 2000s had a lot of different things. Like there are a lot of different random Flash type titles that were out that you could look at and be like, yeah, those it was really important or it was really good. Um, and I just I don't think Flash Forward is gonna be the like timeless story that I think DC may have wanted it to be. Um, I mean, it was weak, like you said. It the multiverse hopping was just not that effective. Um, it just—I'm not a fan of the multiverse in general. I think that it's been way overdone in the last few years. Mm-hmm. But if you're gonna do it, I think you need to rely on more emotional connections. Like I said, seeing Wally versus the Marvel universe per se was cool. It was you know you had a lot of cool booth panels, but. I'd trade that in an instant for an emotional connection with another Hunter Zolomon or an emotional connection with another Barry Allen. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And it just, like, the book just didn't feel like what Wally needed post-Heroes in Crisis. Um, it, it just, it felt very... It just, and it, it just felt so convenient. It was like, okay, yep, that happened. He's happy now. We're good. You know, and it was like, yep, he, he, had, he was always courageous. Everything was perfect. Wally is great. And it's like... The character just didn't need, like, an ego kind of jerk-off, you know, that I felt like the book was. Yeah, so so I think that, you know, in, in the beginning they were kind of playing on the, you know, I feel guilty. And, I and I, again, I think this is something that could have been done through multiverse, like getting a Roy of a multiverse to forgive you. Getting, you know, just various characters across the multiverse to forgive you, even though they're not the main version or the person that you affected you could make your case. Uh, there, there's this book that we had to read in like eighth grade English class. I actually brought it up in, on the podcast before, but uh, this, it, the, the, the short version of it is this guy uh, killed this girl in a drunk driving crash. He survived. She died. And he went to the mother and said like, I, you know, I want to make this right. What can I do? And she said, I want you to go around the country and I want you to place these uh, whirly gigs around the, uh, the whirly gigs, like this like lawn wind thing. I don't know. I don't, It was a weird concept. But anyway, he has to place them all around the country. And, you know, the travels that he makes while doing them, the people he connects to, helps him forgive himself and, you know, feel better by the end of it. So if we could have gotten an adventure like that, in a sense, Mm -hmm. I I think that could have been cool to see, you know, if if while he's going to be traveling the multiverse, it should have something to do with his redemption, not just like, oh, I got to go fight this dark matter. And I also partly blame that on, you know, you have to deal with the overarching Snyder plans of the dark multiverse and all that. But. Yeah, and and it just it it is just kind of really unfortunate that one character's what's supposed to be kind of like their epilogue is more just a prelude to an event, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, so yeah, so it ends with, uh, so and this was also a little convenient. So uh, Jai and Irie are on the planet that essentially Wally made with his mind. That was like a like a guilt planet, and they were stuck there. And by giving himself to the Mobius chair, he's able to forgive himself. And Jai and Irie were able to come back to Prime Earth with Linda. A, a little convenient, but <laughs> whatever, it happens, right? And Linda gets her memories back, and she's like, I, I think the line was like, "Thank God, like I remember." And then it's her, Jai, and Irie hugging. It's emotional. I like it a lot. 
I think it could have been told better over 12 issues because, you know, Giant Army are kind of just like, oh, no, we're trapped. Oh, no, we're back. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. it's it's a little convenient. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see if that'll go any further with Jai, Irie, and Linda. And now Wally is like, like this entire issue just feels like it. You get like a little whiplash from the, you know, this is happening. Now this is happening. Now this is happening. Like it's a lot happening for one issue. And I get it. You only have six issues to work with. You know, it's hard to tell a story in six issues, but I don't know. It's, it's a little rushed and he's Dr. Wally Hatton in the end. And it's going to be continued in flash Seven Fifty, which is nice, but yeah, that, that part uh, kind of pleasantly surprised me because I wasn't expecting that. But I mean, I like I thought the issue was all right. The colors, the coloring is kind of lame. I think we talked about this for a while that I thought the coloring in Flash Forward was kind of a it, I thought it was a little bland for what a multiversal story should have been. Yeah. Um, but I do. I I like Dr. Wally Hatton. I don't like the concept of it. I don't like the use of Watchmen characters. But for what it is, I kind of appreciate it, you know? Um, yeah. Oh, I I'm just was... wondering how long this is going to last. I mean, I guess it all yeah. depends on Generation Zero. But, like, is this going to be a, you know, just for the Generation series and then he's back to Flash? Or is this going to be for five years he's Dr. Wally Hatton? And, you know, if he is, then is there a path back to Linda, Jai, and Irie? And, you know, th- there's just, like, a lot set up in the end. Like, all right, so Irie is in the impulse suit. Bart is impulse. Will they run into each other? Linda, mm-hmm. Linda, in one of the Flash issues, Linda met with Iris. So Linda and Iris are connected. Will Linda now go to Iris and say, "Hey, my kids are back. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you know, they're related to you. Help, you know, like I, I need some kind of continuity." And maybe Flash Seven Fifty will try to tie us into all this, but th- there's still a lot that needs to be answered. So as much, you know, as we got answered in the six issues, I, we really need six issues more to answer everything. And I hope there is somebody paying attention to, oh, yeah, we did mention that Linda and Iris have talked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would make sense that she wouldn't say, like, oh, I got my memories back, and now I can help you get your memories back, and my kids are back. And uh, I don't know. It, it, Flash needs, like, whoever the editor on Flash is, like, we need a full, you know, a full continuity boost. And I think we could really do it in just a matter of a few issues. Like, it, it's just, you know, the backgrounds of a few issues. Yeah, there it, it's gonna end up getting like pinned on Wally. Probably Wally will be, like, because it said like at the end of it, it, Wally Hatton pretty much said like, since the creation of the Mo- of the Mobius chair, it has been content to observe. Today is a new day, a new vocation, a new me. And then Wally was smiling. So I feel like it's he's gonna start interacting with the DCU, um, and more than likely be the person that's gonna be flix- fixing the flash all the issues that the flash is facing you know yeah and and i think there's an interesting story to be told there i worry that it's gonna get stale quick yeah i think i think it will get very stale very quickly but i mean i don't know i i really depends on the writer and i saw a reddit post today actually i was gonna make an instagram post about this today but i didn't exactly have the time to edit it and didn't really feel like editing it but uh podcast breaking news first i saw a reddit post today i don't know if it's actually from scott lubdell or if it was from somebody else but uh, Lubdell will not be writing the Generation Zero uh, Wally story or the Flash 750 Wally story. So uh, oh, okay. we're going to be getting a new writer for Dr. Wally Hatton. I'm excited to see what that is then. I'm curious to see who the new writer is going to be. I'm waiting for it to be Brian Michael Bendis. But, oh, uh, my God. No. <laughs> but but uh, anyway, yeah. So a new writer could be taking over. And. Uh, something I put on my Instagram story today because I did like one of those question things and somebody asked me, oh, who should take over for The Flash on uh, after Joshua Williamson? And my answer to a lot of these questions, my same thing was my answer with Batman. I, I feel like, you know, maybe some newer writers should be given a shot because as you mentioned earlier in the episode, it seems like a lot of the same writers are being rotated at DC and – you know, it's tough for me to read four Bendis books and, you know, I've ended up dropping a lot of them. But, you know, when I'm reading the same thing from so many different uh, – from I'm sorry, so many different things from the same writers, it can get stale. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see what new writers can bring to the book. And, you know, I think there's something that comes along with a new writer. Uh, you know, like Mark Wade and Jeff Johns, when they got on The Flash respectively, they were fairly newer writers at DC. And obviously that ended up having a big upswing. So I'm um, I'm curious to see who could come on to Wally here and really make a name for themselves. I'd mm-hmm. love it to be myself, but you know. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel the same. I mean, I I love Bendis, but it's also like after a while you're kind of like, come on, man, you don't need to be taking that many books. Agreed. Um, yeah, agreed. And like, 
Like, I mean, I, I enjoy a lot of the writers that are at DC, but I also just kind of think that fresh, like, even just the way that James Tinian is kind of tearing up DC right now, it's like, like he's a pretty f- fresh writer, especially looking at someone like Donny Cates, too. Yeah. Um, you know, like, clearly new talent is doing good things when they have yeah. the opportunity. And, and even credit to Joshua Williamson. I mean, he had a dream to write The Flash. He's writing The Flash, you know? He yeah. started on Batman Superman. Now he's writing Batman Superman, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, to see these newer writers come in. And for better or for worse, you know, I think... Though Williamson's had some mishaps, I think he's still an overall good writer. I think, you know, he gets a lot of the job done. So, you know, I I think it would be good to bring in some of these new writers. And, you know, as we get more of these younger writers, we get to see people who really have, you know, like the person who writes Wally next could be somebody who grew up reading Wally. And that's really cool to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, same. Like how Tinian ran a Tim Drake Tumblr fan page. Yeah, like like if a guy ran a page called History of the Flash, maybe let him write Wally. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so flash forward, um, the trade's going to be out, I believe, in I, I made a post about it earlier, end of May and early June, depending on where you get it. So if you want to check out the story, you know, I, I recommend that whatever the story is, you make an opinion for yourself. I think that if you're a Wally fan, it's important to read, but, you know, you make that decision for yourself. Um and it's going to lead into something bigger, so it might be important to read. But anyway, um, also come out this week, and we were talking about it before, Daredevil. So um, Daredevil was interesting this week. Like I mentioned before, Matt's not in the issue that all that much. He works with the police, which I thought was really interesting. And I like that the uh, detective that Matt has been working with basically took control of the police force and was like, no, we're going to go into Hell's Kitchen. Because they were given orders not to go into Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. But it, it took the kidnapping of a little girl to do that. So... Um, Anyway, the crime family uh, that Matt has been sleeping with the woman, uh, Mindy, uh, and she's married into a crime family. So their daughter had gotten taken and Mindy's husband went to go to the boss of the uh, the boss who took who was responsible for the kidnapping. Right. And uh, Mindy's husband is you know trying to reason with the boss. And then they find out that Daredevil actually saved the daughter. So uh, this was, like like we mentioned before, the most surprising part of the issue. He gets killed. Mindy's husband is killed. And it, it really caught me by surprise. I'm pretty sure this is an original character by Zdarsky. I was like, holy crap. I yeah, mean, I, I'm, I'm very used to, like, most writers when they're writing and wanting to, like, evoke emotion to, you know, kill the kid or kill the dog or something. And so I was fully expecting him to kill the girl. And then when the girl didn't die, I was like, oh, okay, everything's all good. And then... Again, like you said, I kept reading that it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was not expecting that to happen. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, and the dialogue they used there, too, was like uh, – so they bring up that uh, the the other son of, of his mother was killed from drugs, and that made the mother get out of the drug industry. So then he says something along the lines of like, what happens if her mob is responsible for killing her other son? How will that treat her? And then he shoots him. And I was like, oh, my. that was like such great buildup. Like I could picture that in like a movie or a TV show, you know, like that's how it read to me. It was very cinematic. It was very uh, like Goodfellas type, like 90s mafia type movie. It was it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's just because he just has the Zerdeski just has the talent to tell those type of stories. And like, again, it's, it's, it's every time there's a Daredevil issue that comes out, it's always just super solid. And you can always just expect it to be probably one of it was like one of the best things that came out this week. Yeah. Yeah. So the exact line was uh, your your brother, Michael, was it died of drug overdose? Sad story. But your mother, Izzy, it changed her. She got out of narcotics. Makes me wonder how would you react if another one of her son's death was the cause of her uh, was the cause from her criminal empire? And he's like turned around to him at the time. And uh, Mindy's husband goes, I, I, I don't. And then all of a sudden, boom, shot. And the way that was drawn too, with like the uh, silhouettes, like I always think silhouettes are a very underused part of comic books. Mm-hmm. Silhouettes yeah, are so cool to me. And especially for like, you know, street level type books, criminally underused. So the way this, the, that entire panel was drawn, I mean, just absolutely brilliant. Yeah, it, I, I, I love that, uh, Jorge, I, I can't. I think it's Jorge for us, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, I love that he started. He because he, remi- he reminds me a lot of the guy who did Batman Year One. 
Um, well, and- yeah, it's funny in the Stegman in the Stegman uh, podcast. Not to drop the Stegman uh, Zdarsky podcast. They talk about uh, Matt, David Mazzucchelli from Batman Year One and Daredevil: uh, Born Again a lot. They 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 mentioned that like the inspiration to take from him is that Jorge Foras represents that. That's funny that you bring that up. Yeah, because because it's and because you could tell on um, when he was doing art for Batman, it's like a lot too. of the lines he does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super simplistic. But I mean, it's his art is just so good, and it works. It's really weird because like I I feel like with Daredevil, you and I feel like with a lot of comics, you don't want to swap artists mid like arc, you know? Yeah. Um, because it can really really mess with like the tone of how the story goes. But it, it's really Daredevil's just gone from some very like human looking art to just super like expressionist art and i it flows perfectly yeah yeah for sure i mean this was uh, another really good issue art writing i mean it was it, it was it was good all around and i'm impressed like i said issue after issue with this book i'm like all right this is the one where it's gonna fall off and it doesn't fall off so uh and by the way the cover art i mean i i don't appreciate that enough i mean uh it, it's so amazing yeah, the cover art's perfect. It's so it's so good. I love it so much. Yeah, so what Chip said in his interview about that was that he went through like the editor was pitching him a bunch of cover artists and he was very picky about it. And that was the like once he saw uh, this guy's art, he was like, "Yep, that's the one, 100%." So uh, it really represents you know what the series is all about that gritty feeling. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, another great issue out of Daredevil. Definitely my pick of the week and definitely my cover of the week. It was just it was so good. Yeah, I think so too. Too. And uh, the the last issue of this week was Batman number eighty nine. So, just a little backstory on this one. This is the first appearance of the new villain, the new Joker quote girlfriend unquote. punchline. Yeah, new first appearance, quote unquote. And DC is, I mean, good at marketing. I mean, I'll give him credit because this sold out like instantly. Like, I got into my comic shop within twenty minutes of it opening, and they had a sign on top of it that says uh, one per customer because they don't want somebody buying twelve and putting eleven on eBay. <laughs> but uh, it it already said like uh, the second printing will be coming in two weeks. And I was like, oh my god! Like the shop's been open for twenty minutes. <laughs> people so, eat up punchline. Yeah, people were eating her up, and she literally appears in the epilogue. I mean, she's in one panel, yeah, maybe barely, two panels. Barely. I think she I think she appears in one of the mid pages too. Like for you see like the side of her face, but barely in the issue, and it's her first appearance. So I, I mean, I already saw it on eBay for like thirty thirty five bucks. This is a four dollar comic. I mean, this is oh insane to me. And the second printing is probably going to sell well, too. Who knows? I could get a third printing. I can't believe it. I mean, this sold like hotcakes. I mean, kudos where kudos is due, right? Like, that's great marketing. But, oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Like, that's crazy. It's really weird, too, because, like, the issue really was kind of just like, yeah, whatever. You know, it wasn't It wasn't a very good – not not and, very and, good. It just and wasn't well, and, and I think that's – and I put this on my story, and some people were replying to it like, oh, well, it's only been four issues. But – I, I think that's been Tenille's Batman so far. It's serviceable. It's not great. It's not bad. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's serviceable. It gets the job done. It's a Batman comic. But, you know, it, it's, it hasn't done anything so far to really break the mold. It just kind of feels like generic Batman comic, you know? Yeah, no, it, 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 it's pretty generic, I think, on, like, every level. And I'm not... that, that, that doesn't mean I don't like it. I'm enjoying it. I think it's, you know, still good. I, I still will read it. I like it. But, you know, I just think it's generic you know king for better or for worse did not make generic batman comics mm-hmm. yeah so. no i agree i think it's just i'm kind of just reading it and it's like yeah it's it's whatever it's serviceable i'm but, enjoying it but to me it really just feels like tinian's a placeholder because when 5g starts luke fox batman happens like he's just filling the placeholder right now you know yeah which is really like surprising because we know that his run will lead into joker war um because you know we have to have a Joker event every couple years, which I hate. Like Joker is yeah. <laughs> so overused. Like yeah, I think Joker is a really cool villain, and yeah, I think there's a lot of cool stories with him. But like, do we need a Joker event every year, every two years? Like, please stop. And like, they stopped using him for a while. Like he when he was in like uh, Tom King's Batman, and he was in Justice League, and he was in Detective Comics, and he was in like all these stories. I'm like, that's you're you're oversaturating Joker. Yeah, I don't think I really like don't care for the character anymore. I and it's. The fact that it's going to be another big, what seems like death of the family arc. Like, it seems like it's literally just going to be death of the family, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, to me, it reminds me of like a mix of death of the family and war of jokes and riddles. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, I, I'm I'm not that interested. I And I wish I was, but it, and like you said, it just seems like a placeholder. Like, I don't know, it's it's 
Tinian's Batman arc, in a sense, is very much him just trying to get as many Batman things out of the way as he can before being taken off the title, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he already set up Lucius, and I think we're going to see more Batwing stuff set up, so... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm interested. And, you know, the writer that they have that's going to be writing the Luke Fox Batman, supposedly the uh, 12 Years a Slave writer, I'm very interested. Yeah, I I'm super hyped for that. I think that could be really cool. Like, I know I swore off, for, or at least when I first heard about 5G, I buried my head in the sand and said I'm not buying DC Comics anymore. That was an <laughs> overreaction. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very curious to see where that's going to go. And, you know, it's exactly what I wanted a new writer with their new take on Batman. So I'm definitely curious where that's going to go, but yeah, this runs kind of just like a placeholder. This is, you know, an okay issue, but it sold out it, like pretty much instantly. Like second printing, I think is coming in two or three weeks. So if you were able to snag a copy of Batman number 89, you got a decently valuable comic and who knows if punchline becomes big one day, you might have a, uh, a, a key comic on your hand. I, I got my copy, so I'm happy. I got a first printing of it. So yeah, it's, it kind of sucks because it's like both Batman and Detective Comics are pretty inconsequential right now, you know? Oh, Detective breaks my heart the most. Like, Detective had, like, a Joker story, and I was like, this is the most, like, this feels like a serial Batman story, you know? Like, it's something you open in a serial box because, like, it felt that inconsequential, you know? Mm-hmm. Was it the one at the where he was at the fair? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like all of the stories that are kind of coming out of those are just, like, and I, and, and, I love, and I love Pete Tomasi, but I just I wasn't getting it out of his tech. I thought he had a few good stories, and all of a sudden, just like, eh. Yeah, no, I feel the same. And that's why it's just, I mean, it. we're in a DC limbo. It seems like the creatives know that we're in, like, a DC limbo. Um, it seems like none of the stories that are, like, being told right now are, like, the ones that are people were wanting to tell, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, I'm, I mean, I think everyone knows something's going to be happening soon. We just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. So the stories are kind of like reflective of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm ready for 5G in the sense of like, I don't want to be in the stalemate era of DC. I don't want the, yeah. You know, uh, filler issues and preparing issues. You know, just let's, if we're going to do it, let's get to it. Let's, let's get down to it. You know, let it, yeah, let it hit. Exactly. So hopefully it's good. You know, I like I said, I hope they learn the lessons from the New 52 and Rebirth. And, you know, I think that for what it's worth, the New 52 did have its fair share of success. And for what it's worth, Rebirth did have its fair share of success. So learn from the last two and make the next one better. And hopefully readers will be down for, I mean, of course, you know, readers are tough to implement change to. But, you know, hopefully readers will uh, adapt to this and hopefully it's worthwhile. You know, don't just give me like a... All the heroes of Earth have disappeared, and in their place, the new heroes of the fifth generation have stepped to the plate. That's that's exactly what it's going to be. And you I know, know. <laughs> <laughs> a little scary, <laughs> but you know, I, give me something that at least I can buy. You know, that that seems don't don't give me something generic because there's nothing worse than being generic, even if it's outrageous out of left field. And this is like back to what we were talking about in the first episode we recorded on Birds of Prey. Even though I didn't care for Birds of Prey, it was something different. It tried something different. Yeah. Tried to break that mold, and I respect that. Even though it didn't work for me, I respect that a ton. So I think with the comics, if you're going to do it, go all out. Go yeah. weird. Go different. Fail. You know, you know, learn from your failures, but you could do something different, and it could be a huge success. Yeah, hopefully it's a success. <laughs> I mean, if you look back at the 80s of comics, even though, yeah, they had gotten stale for a while, everyone would tell you you're crazy to do a, a crossover event where you're going to destroy the entire multiverse mm-hmm. have just one of characters and restart almost every title yeah exactly the flash and supergirl are you insane like but it worked it was crazy but it worked so i I think you got to be willing to roll the dice a little bit on these characters do something bonkers don't kill off a character that's going to return in two months don't send them off to another dimension and that you know now the new hero's got to take over give me something that i can buy yeah and i think I think hopefully if they play their cards right and they start using it to implement like brand new writers, I think because I mean the next generation of writers is gonna happen very soon. You know, um, we're gonna start seeing brand new people like explode on the scene and hopefully, I mean they have some of the best comics to have been able to grow up on. Hopefully they can start Im- using that in their writing and take the medium in a new and exciting direction. Oh, I, to- I, I totally what DC agree. Needs. I, I totally agree, and I think you know. Obviously, we're both in college. I'm towards the end of my college. You'll be there in a few years. You know, people yeah. that are our age will 
start working for comp companies and will start, you know, getting on the, you know, obviously you don't get on Batman right away, but you know, you build your way up and in 10 years time, people that me and you went to school with will be writing these DC comics. So yeah, exactly. You know, hopefully 5G is a decent start for that. Hopefully they didn't reboot eight times by then. But, <laughs> you know, uh, this is it's, it's got potential. And that's what I'll leave at that, right? It's got potential. Yeah. I hope I like yeah, it. Exactly. And it all starts with Generation Zero on Free Comic Book Day. So please be good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that, that's pretty much it for the episode. That was a very interesting comic book talk. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Uh, Caleb, I just want to thank you so much for filling in for Hunter while he was gone. He will be back next week. But Caleb, I think it would be great. And I'm going to put you on the spot again because I love putting people on the spot. But uh, if at some point you'd want to come back and you know do a podcast with the three of us, I think it would be really cool. I think we got really good chemistry from all the conversations we've had in the main bros. So I think that would be really cool. Maybe for like Strange Adventures or something. Oh, yeah. I'd love to, man. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, and I've actually gotten some DMs about you, about people, uh, loving the last few episodes. So, uh, you know, we're doing good work here. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, uh, that's pretty much it for Hero Story. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, we appreciate a five star review or whatever you think the podcast is worth. Yeah. I hope it's five stars. Uh, it does help with the rankings. If you're listening anywhere else, we appreciate a follow or subscribe or, you know, just listen's cool. Uh, for a hero story, I'm JD. I'm Caleb. And thank you for being a hero. And remember, every second is a gift. Goodbye. <laughs>